What is occupational medicine? How do you turn your medical school career into working for a Fortune 500 company? Today on Talking Missions and Med Student Life, I speak with Dr. Eric Wood, Occupational Medicine Residency Director. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. So welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Uh, I have a great guest today. I'm with Dr. Eric Wood, uh, who is into occupational medicine, which is a little not as well known as the other specialties. So I'm really excited to have you on the podca- podcast today, Dr. Wood. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Chan. This is good for us, too, because I think it is, as you indicate, it's, it's one of the lesser known specialties. And um, one of the things we try to do is explain the amazing diversity that people in our career profession path really go into. And, and I think um, what probably is really not even recognized until our residents are into our program for maybe uh, six months or a year before they realize the diversity of career opportunities and pathways that they can go to. Mm-hmm. Um, I so think let's start, off the, start at the beginning. What is occupational medicine? What, what is the definition of that? Yeah. Great. Yeah. You know, I've got a quote here from our professional organization, okay. the American College of Occupational Environmental Medicine, that helps a little bit understand it, but it really only begins to get into the very surface of the whole specialty. So uh, our, our college defines it as the prevention and treatment of occupational and environmental injury, illness, and disability of workers, their families, including individual patient care. So that's kind of the overall professional stance on that. Um, but I think, uh, again, the diversity kind of that this speaks to is kind of a, several different career path, pathways that people enter. Um, probably the most common pathway that we see people in our profession working is in routine clinic care. So in a lot of places in the area where there's heavy industry, you'll see an occupational medicine clinic. We have our occupational medicine clinic at University of Utah at Redwood Health Center as well as South Jordan uh, Health Center. Um, and there's a number of other clinics that work in the same kind of a capacity dealing with uh, people who get either injured or ill through work. And often they'll be doing routine examinations of patients who may have an exposure to some toxic substance. So that's kind of the main uh, area where you'll see people aware of what we do, my colleagues, when mm-hmm. they ask me, you know, what are you doing? But probably um, the other areas that people can end up going into are really even maybe more interesting or attractive for a lot of our residents, at least. Corporate medicine is something that's really big. Mm. Um, It really offers a uh, very interesting, fascinating career pathway for those who are interested in that route. It also is pretty attractive incomes as well. Uh, One of our faculty, and this speaks to it as well, a lot of times people move from one area of medicine to the other within our profession. But one of our faculty was the former occupational medicine director uh, for British Petroleum. And his territory, as it were, went from the very north North America, Prudhoe Bay, to the very south, in Tierra del Fuego. And he had tens of thousands of workers that he was... Uh, that just sounds stressful with. to me, <laughs> just hearing how big that catchment area is. Yeah, oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can imagine, I mean, that type of a role, there's not much clinical care involved. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of management of big programs. And mm. They deal with the public as well, so any kind of thing that spills outside of the plant boundaries... Um, and so the one of the attractions, of course, is that you do get to work in more of a management circle. Uh, you get uh, the capacity to do or or the need to do a lot of travel, um, not, not only in the Americas for him, but he went all over the world. And that's pretty typical of a lot of the corporate-type jobs. Um, another area where people work is government work or private organizations or public organizations. So a lot of people might work for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, OSHA. 
OSHA, yeah. NIOSH, National Institute for Occupational <coughs> Safety and Health, two of the big federal organizations. A lot of military work, a lot mm-hmm. of state, county, and even big cities oftentimes have occupational medicine directors. Um, and then the final area where I belong, of course, is academics, and that offers a lot of diversity and a little piece of each of it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the main kind of areas where you'll find our residents going on to work eventually. Amazing. So how did you get interested in this? I mean, how did you, fo- how did you find yourself on this path? Because I talk to a lot of medical yeah. students. They always ask me, like, you know, Dr. Chan, how did you find your path? Or, and then, you know, because I think for a lot of med students, it's so bewildering because they, they see all these different doctors. And I think it's always good to hear pe- people's stories about how they came to this point. So one of the things about our career path, too, is that there's a lot of interdisciplinary work. Okay. So I'm somewhat of the anomaly, and I started work in a field called industrial hygiene. And what we do in industrial hygiene, this is before medical school, is you basically look at the work environment, try to figure out what the hazards are, whether it's a chemical or a physical, noise, you name it. And then we develop strategies to reduce those impacts in the workers and hopefully reduce their morbidity and mortality. So I worked in that for a number of years, and then I bumped into a bunch of occupational medicine docs as I was doing that. And that kind of led me down the pathway of going to medical school. Uh, I initially did uh, post-medical school training in family medicine and then finally a fellowship in occupational medicine. And then since then, I've been uh, in academics is where my focus of uh, work has been for the career path. You must have seen a lot of changes over the years because I think now like occupational medicine is its own residency, correct? Yeah, yeah, and it has been. It's actually a relatively older uh, specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's, it's, of course, been refocused and rechanneled like most of the residency programs mm-hmm. over the years. Um, so I could talk about our residency program. Sure. Tell me about the program here at the U. Yeah, so um, programs either offer a fellowship pathway or a direct residency pathway. There's two ways you can do that through the ACGME. Um, our program is a two-year residency pathway. Uh, we have a minimum requirement of one year of training, usually internship, prelim, or other specialty program. A lot of folks come in with a board certification, oftentimes in primary care as well. And then it's a two-year path of training. So one of the things that's unique about our training programs is that you have to have a requirement of a master's degree uh, upon completion of it. So uh, we offer a master's of occupational health, which has a really focused uh, path for training in terms of our career paths. Most programs actually offer a master's of public health. Mm. And that's done in usually the first year of training. Sometimes it's spread over two years. And then there's clinical training that goes on in the, in the meantime as well, uh, routine uh, weekly clinic for our residents as well as uh, blocks of other training. So do do the residents, do you help pay the tuition to get that? Or do they have to pay out of the pocket to enter the master's program? Or how does That's that a great out? question. Yeah. Our funding is in our types of training programs, 27 of us, mm-hmm. um, is, is pretty unique. It's different from other GME-type training programs. And most of us have grants that we have for, tra- for paying the stipends and tuition. So, mm-hmm. yeah, our tuition is fully covered under those grant programs. Okay, cool. So, so a resident comes in, they, they're required to get a Master's of Occupational Health, and then they have to do a, a prelim year or an intern year. And then how long is the program after that point? So the program, the two years includes that master's okay. degree, and then and then in that uh, two year period of time, also they're doing a whole series of uh, different clinical rotations as well as uh, general public rotations mm-hmm. and industrial rotations. So they'll get the main bread and butter that clinical care requires. So we have about twelve weeks in our third year of our clinic directly with the residents, and mm-hmm. uh, between two to four weeks in the first year with our residents, 
And then they have a number of other occupational medicine clinic electives that they can take in addition to that at some of the other clinics in, in the region. And then they uh, focus on much of the other uh, routine things you might see in an injury acute urgent setting like we have. Mm. So whether it's uh, orthopedic trauma or wound care or eye management or skin conditions or respiratory conditions, we have those rotations set up so they get that subspecialty type of training that they have to bring into their routine day-to-day clinic care. Um, and then another thing that's kind of unique is we have a lot of rotations that are set up uh, outside of state at places that have corporate experience. Mm. So a lot of our residents will choose to go to uh, Chevron, which is in Houston, Texas, uh, to get to work with the corporate occupational medicine director there. Again, kind of similar to our colleague at the department with his uh, prior experience with BP. Mm-hmm. This is a similar type of uh, experience there. And there's a number of other of those uh, corporate opportunities that we have as well. And then a number of uh, federal uh facilities that we had send folks to, like OSHA or NIOSH. Even some of our residents have gone to NASA in wow. the past. Um, so those are kind of things that it gives that broad uh, perspective of the different experiences that they could enter into a career. And I, I work with them and our faculty work with them to um, set up what seems best for their career track based on what they've had in the past, as mm-hmm. well as where they see their direction going for some of those electives. That variety sounds amazing. That's, that's, that sounds awesome. So, well, and, yeah. it, and it really kind of gives a flavor for the opportunities that your career mm-hmm. can run towards. Um, so we do want to have them well-grounded in the clinical care, um, although some will choose not to go into clinical care at all. They'll go straight into a corporate position or a government position, and mm-hmm. they may have uh, clinical care responsibilities within that, but uh, others as they get on in their career, uh, may leave uh, direct patient care uh, mm-hmm. behind them and just work more in a population-based health care. This may be a silly question, Dr. Wood, but do the residents take call during during this training? or how, I mean, what does that look like? I mean, what's kind of the lifestyle? Yeah, the so uh, residency training is actually um, relatively uh, focused on clinical care. Okay. So we don't have any hospital-based training outside of those clinics that might be based within a hospital. Okay. Um, and then some of the rotations that they do, they will have some uh, hospital-based care in, in, a, in partnership with the specialty that they're in, whether it's a pulmonary service at the VA, for instance. Um, but uh, no, it's typically a, more of a clinic-oriented uh, hmm. uh, rotation experience throughout where they don't have call uh, at all unless they choose to elect it. And some will choose uh, additional medicine rotations, for instance, and have call associated with that. Interesting. And, and that's reflective of the, of the career paths as well. Um, it really is um, a type of career. Well, I should say, it like uh, uh, I think in 2012, Archives of Internal Medicine had a journal article that came out on burnout and career satisfaction, life set, uh, work-life balance satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And the one of the things that we were not too surprised to see was that not only does occupational medicine have the lowest burnout, but it also has the highest satisfaction with work-life balance. Wow. Well, I'm glad to kind of broadcast that news to all the students who are listening because I think it's good for them to keep that in mind because as you're progressing your training, these things become more and more important. So, yeah, yeah and, and it is. I mean, it's a, it's a very, uh, I think, uh, satisfying from a, career satisfa- from a career perspective, and it is uh, a life that you generally don't take call unless mm-hmm. you choose that specifically. And the actual um, financial rewards are pretty well. Mm-hmm. As well the, I think the uh, 2013 um, salary survey said uh, the median income was something like 245 and the average was higher than that because, mm-hmm. again, with the corporate life, uh, oftentimes you have uh, profit sharing, things that go along with that in addition to your salary. So wow. it can get pretty steep. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about the program. How many residents do you take a year? How big is the program? We generally take between three to four residents okay. per year. Uh, we've got seven in our class right now. Okay. Um, 
and we have, in addition to that, we'll often have uh, military residents that come in to do a first year of training mm. in the academic uh, part, part particularly. We, have a, we had three uh, aerospace medicine residents last year who were all with the Air Force. Wow. And, and I think you mentioned at the beginning before we turned on the podcast that there's a, a new combined program with family medicine or an integrated program or something like that. You... Well, we're we're in the process of okay, developing I don't know. the combined program. The cat out of the bag. Yeah, okay, okay. yeah, no. Oh. So we're still working out some of the details okay. on that. We hope to have that in place within the next couple of years. Okay. So that's more of like what's on the horizon for the program. So, yeah, and there are a couple of programs that have that nationally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we haven't been able to uh, actually implement that yet. Mm-hmm. So if I was a medical student, is there a, is there a fourth year rota- <coughs> excuse me a fourth year rotation through occupational medicine, and what does that rotation look like? Yeah, so um, we do offer fourth year uh, elective rotation. Generally, it's two weeks in, in length. Some people have done okay. it longer than that. All right. And what we do is we uh, integrate them in our clinic, and then we also give them some of the other experiences locally that our residents might do. Um, so, for instance, recently one of the fourth-year students did that, and I think they spent a few days up at Hill Air Force Base where they've got an active occupational medicine program with four docs uh, and treating the entire workforce up there, something like 20,000 workers. They get to do site visits down to the different uh, areas, uh, workshops as they call them, uh, where they might be looking at some of the chemical dip tanks, uh, some of the radiation exposures from ionizing radiation sources uh, and things like that. Mm. So they get it, and, and that's again kind of speaks to that interdisciplinary nature. I think that's different than a lot of professions. Uh, so they'll work with the industrial hygiene team, the ergonomics and safety team, the audiologists, the bioengineers. Uh, go out and look at those shop visits and see what's going on there, the hazards, and and hopefully develop you know strategies to reduce those uh, injuries and illnesses that may come out of that kind of work site. Okay. And then uh, what kind of students do well? I mean, what kind of students do you look for, for in your program? I mean, what kind of attributes or traits, uh, you know, either on the interview day or in their application? I mean, what, what are you looking for? So uh, I think, again, kind of speaking to the diversity of the career opportunities, having uh, diverse experiences in your own history is helpful for us. Uh, particularly one of the things I find um, valuable for a lot of folks is some experience in work situations. So whether that means you came out of construction background or working in the service industries or something where you really really had an opportunity to kind of get a sense from, you know, the ground level up of what it is like to be a worker, what those differences are between an academic uh, experience versus the exposures, uh, how it is to work in a corporate or public situation so that you can actually um, build off of that in your careers and have better empathy for uh, the people you're working with. Okay. And then you kind of mentioned some of the places, but where where are like the most popular, like the graduates of the program, where do they end up? Are, it sounds like there's a wide variety of choices. Is there like a a specific pipeline that the residents from the U graduate? I mean, do they go, I mean, every year do they go to Chevron or BP or are there kind of favorite locations they end up at? Or Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the things that's, again, it's kind of one of these hidden secret fields, I think, that many people aren't even aware of. And, and right now the job opportunity is really probably at a high mark of our profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to the meeting, uh, national meeting, about uh, a month ago, and uh, the recruiters were saying there was something in the nature of 250 to 500 job openings, active job openings, wow. um, ranging from clinical care to corporate experiences. Uh, and there's probably something like uh, 75 to 100 graduates a year total. Mm-hmm. So uh, people are definitely getting their pick of the crops. 
Uh, a lot of uh, the graduates, and I encourage this oftentimes, is they'll go on to a, a occupational medicine clinic experience, and in part just to make sure that they ground that clinical experience. Even if they go on to, you know, a, a corporate experience or a government experience where they may not be seeing patients, I think you need to have that in your early part of your career. Mm-hmm. And most choose to do that. But again, the experience, the uh, opportunities right now are uh, so good that mm-hmm. uh, we've had a couple of our residents actually sequentially in years went on to work at Caterpillar, for instance, wow. uh, which has one of the uh, top occupational environmental health programs in the world. It's also one of the you know world's leading corporate Mm-hmm. Uh, giants as They're well. They're very big, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, those are the type of experience that some will go on to. Others will go on. Uh, we had one resident uh, a few years ago that did an uh, epidemic intelligence service, a mm-hmm. fellowship through CDC, and she went on to do public uh, service work after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, if I were to look at the last 10 years, the majority of folks went on for a clinical job uh, within the first uh, one to two years, uh, sometimes even longer than that. Some stay in those. There's some great opportunities, mm-hmm. uh, but many will kind of parlay that experience into a corporate job afterwards. Is it easy to switch paths? I mean, if you work for OSHA for a few years, could you like flip over to do a corporate type of environment? I mean, like, because it sounds like once you're on a path, you're kind of set in a certain way, but is there a lot of flexibility in changing? No, your... and that, that, again, I think speaking to the diversity of career opportunities, mm-hmm. that's very common that you'll okay. see that movement, movement around. And, and in many people, it'll be more of a um, kind of an executive path uh, okay. towards progression of their careers as well. Um, so, so I think uh, that opportunity to bounce from one of those pathways to another mm-hmm. is definitely something that a, pe- a lot of people find attractive. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating about this discussion, I love Dr. Wood, is like I gain more and more questions about business, business school, MBAs, things like that. And it sounds like there's already kind of a path to kind of get a lot of corporate business experience. And so I just, this is why I love doing these podcasts because I learn myself, you know, and, and there's like a lot of opportunities out there for people to kind of go out there and get that experience. So. That, that's very true. And uh, in addition to the masters that everyone's required to have as part of the um, specialty training to get board mm-hmm. certified, and it's the American Board of Preventive Medicine is where we're certified, um, that you'll see an awful lot of other uh professional degrees. MBAs are not uncommon at all for folks in our pathway. And you look at them generally as they progress on mm-hmm. through their career, through night courses or things like that. Um, we also see a lot of attorneys in our field as well. And those mm-hmm. folks have a, a great opportunity in corporate experience as well because it's kind of a twofer for the you mean you know, like a, management. You mean like an attorney who also is an occupational medicine physician? Yes. Oh, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So we actually have one of our residents right now as a, a JD. JDMD. A JDMD. Mm-hmm. Had a number of years working uh, for a attorney's, uh, attorney general's office uh, in mm-hmm. another state. Uh, so, again, those are the kind of uh, things that you can bring in to have a really powerful uh, potential out there in mm-hmm. your career. So, um, you know, I guess it kind of depends on, on where you're at because of the diversity of career paths. But what do you think a typical day looks like for for an occupational medicine physician? I mean, I guess it really depends where you're at. But I, I get a sense there's going to be a fair amount of meetings, but also some patient contact, some, like, power to really – like tease out really strong policy. You know, that's why I get the sense. Is no, that that's accurate? very good. It's very yeah. accurate. I mean, well, for, from a clinical standpoint, if you're going to work at a clinic that, for instance, we have occupational medicine clinic where all of our faculty share responsibilities, uh, you would typically have an eight to five uh, open clinic. You mm-hmm. have scheduled examinations for folks coming in for their annual surveillance exam for things like an asbestos work or a respiratory exam or a truck driver. 
And then you'd be seeing patients coming in through the day who may have just gotten hurt right that day at work. You may be repairing lacerations, taking foreign bodies out of the eye, fixing a fracture, or sending them on to appropriate specialty care as needed. And then you'll see those folks in follow-up through uh, the natural history of that disease. So generally four to six weeks of uh, care for most of these conditions or at least, you know, musculoskeletal conditions, which we see a lot of, uh, or ongoing care even sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, so that's in the clinical domain where you'd be seeing most of the activities during the 8 to 5 type of a, a work day. Um, in, in corporate medicine, it would have a huge uh, range of things you might do. One of the main things you'd be responsible for is managing the occupational health concerns of the entire workforce. Mm. So a clinic like uh, ours that I just described might be seeing a patient for a company like Chevron, for instance. And then we would turn in reports to that corporate medical director, and his team or her team would be looking through those files, making sure that things are following okay, tracking their health over the period of their career, making sure they're not, you know, seeing those early signs of something that would be suggestive of a disease in development. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also developing the policies for how do we manage these populations of workers? How do we manage our expatriate workers? I mean, that's a huge need for corporate work, especially for the international expat communities. Mm -hmm. I mean, something that... uh, I learned a few years ago was that the single biggest driver of expenses for international multinational corporations is care for workers with malaria. Mm. So the costs and maintenance of a program where they're you know reducing the likelihood for the workers to develop malaria, and in turn when they develop it, the costs for bringing those folks home and replacing them are astronomical. There was a study that said the uh, repatriation costs of workers. Uh, executives typically or high-level skilled, high-skilled engineers type from uh, international experiences in the order of $200,000 for returning someone home once they got ill or injured at work. Um, So if they can prevent that type of an uh, outcome, then that's a huge cost saving for the companies over time. Wow. It's fascinating. Like, you know, it sounds like this is definitely a career path that more med students should pay attention to. So what does the future hold for either occupational medicine or the program specifically here at the University of Utah? Well, I kind of indicated, you know, the last meeting that we were at just a month ago that the growth in the field right now is really substantial. In part, Mm -hmm. that's because our economy is coming back. In part, it's because companies recognize uh, the expenses that uh, go into maintaining a healthy workforce. Maintaining presenteeism is one of the newer buzzwords that we're uh, becoming much more involved with. And, you know, if if a person's healthy, they're going to be much more productive on the work line, Uh, whether it's a frontline worker on an um, assembly line versus the higher-level executives who may be coming with diabetes and having problem uh, focusing and, mm. and morbidity associated with that. Um, so the growth is really very high right now. Mm-hmm. Which, again, we're seeing the high-water mark for hiring, I think, of, uh, of our entire career. The other thing that's going on there is a lot of the folks that came in when a lot of the important environmental and occupational legislation came into play in the 1970s are reaching the end of their careers. So there's mm-hmm. people leaving their careers through retirement, uh, growth through the economy, um, and increased recognition of the cost savings. Because one of the things as a preventive medicine specialty we do a lot of is uh, health and wellness. Mm -hmm. We're often charged with all those programs that can reduce the morbidity of the workforce uh, in addition to the injuries and illnesses directly from the work here. So I think... um, Programs like ours uh, certainly, um, and we are one of the biggest programs in the country, actually, mm-hmm. programs like our, ours have a great potential to kind of fill those uh, demanding job mm-hmm. uh, needs. Um, and, and, and a lot of the corporate groups and, and clinical groups are looking to us uh, as having a, um, excellent training that the residents go on to fulfill those mm-hmm. roles very successfully. I know I, I, I speak to the medical students here, and I know there's a – there's a growing popularity in your program because like, you have some very 
excited individuals who are going into it. And so I'm, I'm just happy to do this podcast. Well, is there anything else, Dr. Wood, that you wanted to share about your program? No, I think I pretty much uh, hit most of the highlights that I had uh, kind of thought about in advance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, it's the kind of thing that uh, I'm, I'm excited about. I've been working in the field for quite a few years. And I think uh, it's, it's one of those things that's a relatively small community. Mm-hmm. You get to know people within the um, you know, active in the field throughout the nation. Um, and the network is really a very supportive, uh, overwhelmingly supportive community. And it's great uh, diversity in the field as well. I mean, we, I think the last five years, three of those years, the president of the organization, ha- presidents have been women. Mm-hmm. And the active president right now is uh, Catherine Mueller from the University of Colorado. Uh, so I think it, it's one of those things that a uh, lot of great opportunities with a uh, lifestyle that goes uh, towards making a healthy, happy career. Mm-hmm. Um, and the income is commensurate with that as well. And then just making a difference because if you can really change the health of workers or if you come up with different ways to make a meaningful difference, I, I just see that as incredibly powerful. And it's just a different way of helping people. And, you know, you can help them one-to-one, but if you have a, an effective policy, if you can make, you can advocate for your patients on a company-wide level, I, I, I just think that's beautiful. So, yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. I, I appreciate you putting that mm-hmm. uh, spin on it because mm-hmm. it is one of the things that I think is most satisfying is that breadth of um, opportunity you have for influencing people's lives, mm-hmm. the workers and their families. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thanks, Dr. Wood. Hope to have you back on soon. Well, great. Thanks. Thank you very much, Dr. Chan. I really appreciate the experience. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.